And his one goal in writing was to give you certainty in a world of doubt. Good morning. You guys doing well? Outstanding. Good to have you with us. Certainty in a world of doubt. We're working our way through the Gospel of Luke. Don't lose heart is the title of this weekend's message. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 18. We'll cover this whole chapter here this morning. Have you felt like giving up lately? Have you ever felt like giving up? Yes, absolutely. I think we all go through those uh, times in our lives, and that's what we're going to talk about. You can see there on your notes, grab your sermon notes out. It's really about losing heart. That's the idea here in the very first verse of our text. And losing heart means to be utterly spiritless, to be wearied or wearied out and exhausted. That's the Greek definition. The New Testament was written in Greek, Koine Greek, everyday Greek language. And so when you take it back to the original meaning, that idea of losing heart, that's what that means. It is having very little passion for life ranging from listlessness to depression to being suicidal. So you can see the the range all the way from just, uh, I don't really care, I just don't care anymore to deep depression to all the way to being even suicidal, like I just want to end it all. And you see that range there. It happens when something you fundamentally trust, love, are living for or hope in is threatened, blocked, or lost. Any one of those, it begins to work against you. So something that you're, you've built your life on, you're trusting in, you love, you're living for, you're hoping in, it begins, it begins to be threatened, that's gonna create anxiety, it's being blocked, that creates anger, and when it's lost, that becomes a, a sense of hopelessness or depression. So think about that just for a minute. That's, that's a bit of the psychology, and it's why we oftentimes, we talk about idolatry a lot here, because that's going to come as a result. If I build my life on anything other than Christ, I'm going to be subject to losing heart. I lose heart in direct proportion to how much I've built my life on something that's, that's temporal and, and uh, a created thing as opposed to the creator. I mean, if you build your life on the creator, you won't ever lose heart. But our tendency is to, our tendency is to build our lives on, on created things as opposed to the creator. Now, it doesn't mean that, uh, you know, we have, there's a certain level of hope and, and, and trust we put in created things, but eventually they will let us down. But if we have our ultimate hope in Christ, we will have what we need to get through those difficult times. This is just great, really good psychology. This is healthy for us and for you to understand that. So when you find yourself kind of losing heart, you want to analyze. It happens when something you fundamentally trust, love, are living for, or hope in is threatened, blocked, or lost. That's kind of, you get to the root of that. Now, next point on your notes, the next idea, this is part of the intro. Your circumstances actually matter, matter far less to your happiness than you think. We tend to build so much of our, our happiness on our circumstances. But it's the health of your heart that makes life heaven or hell. So that's what we're talking about. Don't lose heart. It's the health of your heart. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life, Proverbs 4.23. So here's the thesis statement for this weekend's message. 
is that the key to not losing heart, we'll see this in the text, the key to not losing heart is praying confidently, praying confidently, humbly, wholeheartedly, and persistently on the basis of the finished work of Christ. You'll see that as we walk through chapter 18 of the Gospel of Luke. Now, keep in mind, before we pray and dive into our notes and, and our text. Keep in mind that we are multidimensional, multidimensional image bearers of God. We are body, soul, and spirit. And so the tendency when we deal with uh, losing heart is we'll try to focus on, well, it's all, it's all about our body, getting enough rest and diet and sleep and all these other things. And that's, that's an important part. There's no doubt about it. You need to take care of your body. But there's also a soul part and then there's a spiritual part. We're going to be focusing more on the soul and the spirit part in this study, but you're going to have to deal with also your body part of this uh, issue of not losing heart. So just keep in mind, we're multidimensional. There's no simple answers. It's very complex, and I love how the Bible is not reductionistic in its approach to our lives. The Bible deals with all of those aspects. We're looking at really more of the soul and the spirit aspect here this morning. So let's pray. Let's begin with prayer, and then we will walk through the notes. We'll read a little bit, and then we'll talk about it, read a little bit, and talk about it. We'll work through this text. So God, we are delighted to be here today. We love spending time with you. And there are those here, I'm sure, that have very little passion for life. They have lost heart. Some are, are listless. Others are depressed, and there may be even a few among us who have, who have battled thoughts of suicide just, just recently, maybe even this week. So we pray as we wait upon you through the study of your word, the work of your Holy Spirit, that you would be close to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit, as it tells us in Psalm 34, 18. And may we be renewed with strength so that we can mount up with wings like eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not faint, as we are promised in Isaiah 40, 31, for our joy and your glory in Jesus' beautiful and holy name. And everyone said, <clears throat> amen. So we should pray. This is where we're headed. This is what a healthy heart looks like. I'm going to give you four characteristics of a healthy heart. This is what you need to work on. So verse, uh, chapter 18, verse 1, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray. There's where we get that idea, always to pray, all in intimacy with God. That's what prayer is, always to pray and not lose heart. How do we keep from losing heart is always pray. Connect with God. Keep your heart connected with him. Now, notice this. He's putting this on us. He's going to give us a parable, and he's putting this on us. You must be proactive, not reactive. You've got to be proactive with this. Otherwise, you are inevitably going to lose heart. So you need to stay connected to God. Proactive versus reactive. We talked about it a few weeks ago in our parenting series. We talked about character. You guys remember that? So character, this idea of character, so being, seeing, being proactive is more like a thermostat. Being reactive is more like a thermometer, you got to be less affected by your circumstances and, and be in a sense that, so it's not, it's not what happens to us, our circumstances, but what happens in us, our character that either makes or breaks us in life. So it kind of goes right along with the statement that we said here, your circumstances actually matter far less to your happiness than you think. It is the health of your heart 
that makes life heaven or hell. So it's the same thing. And this is what he's saying. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. This is on you. You've got to do something about this. You just don't sit around and, and dig a, you know, get yourself into self-pity. You've got to get beyond that. If you're anxious, angry, depressed, you've got to move. You've got to start doing something. Because it's so easy when we get depressed, we just, we just give up. We throw in the towel. We don't even want to try. We don't even want to go to church anymore. We don't do anything. And he's putting this on us. Always to pray and not lose heart. And then he said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, so he's thinking, this is his thoughts, kind of a soliloquy. He's just kind of thinking through this. Though I, I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this woman keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. You can, you can, you can see this as like, oh my goodness, she's getting the best of me. And this is a hard dude. And she's like, oh, she's getting the best of me. I'm going to have to give her justice. So she's not going to quit. Now, notice what Jesus says about this little parable. And Jesus said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. The unrighteous is saying, I'm going to have to give her justice. She's beating me down. And now he's going to make this comment. If that's true, this is what Jesus is saying. This is, if that's true, even more so is this true. That's, that's the point that he's making. And will not God give justice to his elect? who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. In other words, he's saying, hey, listen, you can trust God. He's looking after your best interest. But, but the real question is, can you, can you trust God? Can you put your trust in him even when it looks dark and depressing all around you, when all your circumstances are caving in around you, but can you trust God? Because that, but that's what he says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So we should pray, here's your fill in the blank, confidently. So this is what a healthy heart looks like, confidently. So, so let's go back to those two questions. Can you trust God and can you trust God? That, that has two different understandings. Can you trust God? Emphasis on trust. Is he dependable in times of adversity? And Jesus is saying, yes, of course he is. And he uses this parable to help us to understand that. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? In other words, what he's saying is that if an unjust judge helps a persistent poor widow, how much more will the loving father meet the needs of his children? That's the point that he's making. Verse 7b, will he delay long over them? Verse 8, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. In other words, when he's, he's talking about these timing uh, things, so will he delay? Yes, he won't delay, delay, he will give to them speedily. So what he's saying here is that in his timing, in his timing, he will give to you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knew. He's got your best interest at heart. That's what it's saying. Now, your consistency in prayer be betrays you. It shows whether or not you actually believe that you can come to him confidently. If you, if you have that confidence, believe me, you're going to pray night and day. But if you don't have that confidence, 
uh, you don't believe that. You don't actually believe that he hears you and that he actually cares about you and that he's going to respond to your, your request. And so he's trying to help us with our confidence here. He's trying to help us to, to see that, hey, you know what? Not only does your Father in heaven hear you, but he's going to do what's in your best interest. Keep calling out to him. And it's according to his timing, and you can trust his timing. He will give to you, according to his timing, what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knew. And, um, and so, the, the bottom line, though, if, if that's true, if that's true, if we have a Father in heaven who loves us and thinks the world of us, can I trust him? How do I trust him when it looks pretty dark in my life. How do I get through those difficulties of my life? How do I do that? How can I grow in confidence? Well, we talked about it last week, so you're gonna have to listen to last weekend's message, okay, to answer that question for you. If you weren't here, you're gonna have to go online and listen to it. I'm not gonna spend any time on it whatsoever. Okay, yeah, I, I, you know me better than that. I'm gonna actually talk about it just a minute, but, but, but remember what I said last week? It's not the size of your faith, but the what? object of your faith that matters most. It's not the size, it's the object. So what did I say? I said, as you get to know the object, so spend time with the object of your faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, and your faith will soar. Get to know him. Spend time with him. If you only knew the Father heart of God towards you, nothing would keep you from him. Nothing would keep you from him. The reason why you're not praying day and night, seeking him with all of your heart, is because you don't believe that. So we've got an adversary, and if he can't convince us, if he can't get us to doubt God's existence, he will try to get us to doubt God's goodness, that somehow he's holding out on us. And so that's, that's the battle right there. If you want to start dealing, working on your heart, and you want to keep from losing heart, you've got to believe that you have a Father in heaven who loves you, adores you. In fact, sent his son to die for you, and if you understand that, then you know that you can come to him, and he's going he's gonna to meet your needs. He's, he loves you. And, and the way that I stir that up within me, the more I get to know him, so I spend time with him. The more I get to know him, the more I will trust him. And when, I, when I, I see myself seeking him consistently with a heart filled with gratitude, that's when I know that I'm, I'm on track. Let me give you a couple verses here. I put them on your notes. Remember this verse? So if you only knew the Father heart of God, what's the, what's the heart of God towards us? I gave a couple verses there. This is from our past as we've worked through the Gospel of Luke. Remember this one, Luke 12, 32? Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Oh, my goodness. That's the Father heart of God towards you. And towards me. Here's, an, here's another one, Luke 15, 31. Remember what the older, uh, the older brother, the elder brother in the prodigal son story, how he responded to the dad. And remember how the dad responded to him? This is what the dad said. Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. I gave you another verse there, Psalm 9, 9 through 10. It says, God is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know his name... So know, who, know his character. The more you get to know him, those who know his name will trust in him because he has never forsaken those who seek him. He has never. He won't forsake you. Listen, listen. He won't forsake you. Pray confidently that he hears you. Whether, whether you feel it or not, you go back to his word to validate it. He wrote it down for us. And so that's, that's that first part. So, 
So pray confidently. Here's the next one. And, and the, the way that to grow in confidence is you got to get to know, know him. You got to be around people that know him so that they can kind of preach the gospel to you regularly and stir that up within you. Now, here's the next one. Let's continue reading verses 9 through 17. The Pharisee and the tax collector, because we're going to come to another characteristic of a healthy heart. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous, so very self-righteous people, very sanctimonious, and treated others with contempt. Self-righteous people are critical, cynical, and condemning. So if you're around people that are cynical, critical, and condemning, they're self-righteous. He tells us right here. And so he makes this contrast between two guys praying. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, (laughs) I love this, it's not how not to pray, okay? God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners and unjust, uh, adulterers, and even like, like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector, now he's gonna make this contrast, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now notice this is Jesus' commentary on this. I tell you, this man, Which man? The tax collector. This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Now here he's going to summarize it. This is the big idea. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself shall be exalted. Now that's what separates Christianity from every other religion. Every other religion is a list of rules, and you you hit the list, and you're in. Good or in, bad or out, but not with Christianity. You can never do enough rules. You can't earn your salvation. We're going to talk more about that in, in a little bit. You can't earn it. And it's not the good are in, the bad are out. It's the humble are in, the proud are out. That's the bottom line. All you need is what? Need. All you need is need. That's it. That's what he's saying. Now, he continues on because he gives us this next story here is important part of this because it, it's going to give us... Uh, It's going to reinforce, kind of give us a little bit more commentary on this principle, this one uh, characteristic of of a healthy heart. Now, they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for such belongs to the kingdom. Now, now this is important. Here's part of his commentary on this. Once again, Jesus is giving explanation. Truly, when he says that, Better listen up. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Okay, so what is he talking about here? Here's the second characteristic. It's, it's humbly. We must pray confidently and humbly. Humbly. Now, we've got to talk about what, what it means to be humble. And, and being humble is not a, a low view of yourself. It is an accurate view of yourself. It's not a low view, it's an accurate view, and I believe that the tax collector gives us this accurate view of ourselves, verses 13 through 14. You'll notice, he says, and the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Notice what Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. So you got to read both of that. That's, that would be an accurate view of ourselves. Now, 
In David's repentance psalm, Psalm 51, King David, when he was repenting because of his sin with Bathsheba, betrayal of the nation, murder of of Bathsheba's husband, and he did all of that. In there, he, he says in Psalm 51, 17, a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. What is a broken and contrite heart? I think it's this humility. This is what a broken and contrite heart is. This is what humility is. So it's not a low view, but an accurate view. It is a heart that knows how little it deserves, yet how much it has received. It's a heart that, that understands how little it deserves and how much it, it has received, how lost and how loved you are at the same time. I don't deserve anything, but you have given me everything my heart longs for in Christ Jesus. See, that's grace, that's the gospel, that's our understanding of what it means to be a Christian. What do we deserve? What do we deserve? Romans 6.26 tells us, for the wages of sin is what? Yep, that's what you deserve. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when you begin to understand the gospel, you realize, wait a minute, I deserve death, and yet I get life through Christ? Woohoo! I'll take it. Yes. See, that's, that's an accurate view of yourself. That's really an accurate view of yourself. I don't deserve anything. By the way, that just goes so contrary to the American way, isn't it? And our whole, when you listen to commercials, you deserve it. You know, you hear those, that, that statement all the time. And the Bible says, mm, no, you don't. You don't deserve anything. In fact, you deserve hell because, and, and so thank God that you're not there and that he loves you and he's given you life through Jesus Christ. And so that's, that's a healthy perspective. I like this when he says in verse 17, he helped us to understand this. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. He's not talking about childishness. He's cha- talking about childlikeness, which is total dependency and vulnerability. So here's, here's the interesting thing. No matter who you are, no matter what you have done, All you need is need to experience God in your life through Christ. All you need to do is come as a little child. I need you, God. Yes, you're in. Come on. That's it. Now, so it's not a low view, but an accurate view, but it's also something a little bit more. It's it's not thinking less of yourself, but, but it's thinking of yourself less. And not just an accurate view, but you don't even think about yourself. That's a C.S. Lewis quote. So it's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less because there's this blessed self-forgetfulness. Why is that? Because you're captivated by the beauty and the glory of Christ. See, our biggest problem in the root of all of our sin is a glory hunger. It's self-centeredness. It's self-absorption. It's pride. It's because we're alienated from God. Our spiritual alienation has left us psychologically alienated. We're desperate for acceptance, security, and significance. And so we're glory hungry. We should be getting that from God, but we don't. And so we're hungry for that. And so we we have to promote ourselves. It's called pride. The Bible calls it pride. There's two ways that we do that, two forms of pride. There's superiority and then there's inferiority. Both of those are ways of being preoccupied with self. We become desperate. We need to fill the void inside of us that God should be filling. And the one way that we do it through superiority is through boasting. I deserve admiration because of how much I've accomplished and achieved and acquired. That's what the Pharisee is doing. Look at me, God. Look at what I do. Look what I'm doing. Look how great I am. That's called pride. There's another way that we fall prey to pride, and that's inferiority. And it's through self-pity. I deserve admiration because of how much 
I'm suffering. Both of those are preoccupation with self. But when we are stunned by the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, that I'm lost and yet I'm found in him, that I deserve, I deserve death and I get life through Jesus Christ, it takes us out of ourselves. It's a blessed self-forgetfulness. We become captivated with who he is and all he's done for us. And we want to live for his glory and we don't want to live for our glory. We want to live for his glory. And, and that's, that's important. So those two ways, sometimes we go from superiority to inferiority to superiority. What we need is a blessed self-forgetfulness. We need to be captivated by the beauty and the glory of Christ. And what you have in that first story that we read and the second story, you have really the justice of God in that first story, the, the widow who's coming to the judge. And then in this story, you have more of the mercy of God being displayed. And there really, now listen to me, don't, don't miss this. There really has to be a balance in your life of seeing both, both the justice and the mercy of God working hand in hand. The wonder of the cross is that it satisfies both the justice of God, that, that part of him that requires payment for sin, for the wages of sin is death. That's what I deserve. But there's that other part of God, the mercy of God that, that seeks my justification, that loves me and, that, and wants me to be reconciled to him. And so that's the wonder of the cross, that in the cross we have both the, the justice and the mercy of God. And that's what begins to captivate us and it humbles us. And we go, oh my goodness, that's amazing. I deserve death, and yet I've received life in him. So there's this balance. I was, I was thinking about this balance between the two this last week. I was writing this down in my, my journal. In the healthy, healthy biblical worship, we'll find a balance between God's unsearchable greatness, that's his, his justice and holiness, and his unimaginable goodness, producing in us awe and intimacy. Wow and mmm. All in intimacy. So greatness minus goodness, so if I understand that he's just, oh, without his, without his goodness, without his mercy, leads to cold, I become cold and afraid of him. So that's the greatness minus goodness, I'm cold and afraid. But his goodness minus his greatness, it becomes shallow, proud, shallow and pride. But greatness and goodness, I have really this, this humble confidence. I was thinking of this as it related to my life. And, and uh, Nancy and I have nine grandkids. And when we've got, in our, we've got a big backyard. We've got an acre over here that's irrigated. It's an uh, irrigated lot, green grass and big trees. And so between two trees, I've got a hammock. And so when the kids were a little bit smaller, they still do this. We did it just here a couple days ago. We were hanging out. And so we'll try to pile as many grandkids on the hammock as we can. And Grandpa's right in the middle of them. So Grandpa will hang his legs over the side of the hammock like this. And then the kids will come in there and hug up close to me. And then I'll kick and swing that hammock where it's just swinging high. Woo! Woo! And the, and the kids, the, more, the higher it swings, the littler ones especially, will hug me that much more. They just cling. <laughs> And they just cling, and I swing, 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 and then I stop midair almost, and I stop like this, and they're hanging on me, and they're going to fall to the ground if it wasn't for me hanging on to them, and they're clinging to me. And I'll never forget this. One of my grandsons, as I was doing that one time, he said to me, that's scary, Grandpa. Let's do it again. 
See, that's a beautiful picture of the awe and intimacy that we have with God. There's a lot of things that scare us to death in life, and he's even kind of scary. Justice? Oh, my goodness. I deserve death, and yet he sent his son to rescue me, and he loves me. So there's that, that sense of awe. Wow. And then there's that also that sense of, mmm, satisfying. And you got to have both. you got to have both to be healthy. It creates a humility within you. And that's that, that's, that's that healthy heart, the healthy heart. And so, so we should pray confidently, humbly. Let's continue on, verses 18 through 30. It gets, it gets heavy duty here. Now, and, and a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that's a good question. Yeah. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. And so in that day and time, they wouldn't say uh, anybody was good except for God. Okay, that makes sense? So in essence, what this rich ruler is saying to Jesus, you're either God or you're from God. So he's got very high esteem for Jesus. And then Jesus responds, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not uh, bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And the rich ruler said to him, and he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack Sell all you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Now, this is really significant here. And you guys know that the purpose of the law is not, uh, it, it reveals the holy nature of God. It also is to reveal our sinfulness and our need of a Savior. That's the point that Jesus is making here. You haven't really lived by the law. If you think you've lived by the law, you haven't really lived by the law. You need to take a serious look. It's a mirror to reveal how much you desperately need me. And then once you come to Christ, it shows us how we can honor Christ with our lives. That's, what, that's the purpose of the law. But notice this. So he says, uh, and you'll have treasure and follow me. But when he heard these things, so this rich ruler, when he hears these things, he became very sad. And I looked that word up, that very sad. That's just not sorrow. That's despair. So, um, and for he was extremely rich. So it was based on the wealth that he had. He wasn't willing to give up his wealth for this eternal life. And, uh, and so let me, let me just talk just for a minute, and then we'll continue reading. But there's a difference between sorrow and despair. You're going to be sorrowful in this world because you're going to lose a lot of good things. But if any of those good things ever, ever, ever become ultimate things in your life, you're not just going to be sorrowful. You're going to be in despair. Make sense? Now that's good healthy psychology once again. The reason why we are in despair, the reason why we, we're heading towards losing heart is because we, once again, we have built our lives on, on temporal things, on created things. We put too much of our heart in those created things. And that's what he has. That's what he's done. That's the reason why it wasn't just sorrow. It was despair. You turn a good thing into an ultimate thing. And, and okay, what are some good things? Yell them out to me. What are some good things in life? Yeah, yep. Everything other than God, okay? They're all good. They're pretty much, for the most part, I mean, marriage and family and kids and homes and cars and those are all good things. Are, are those all subject to be lost in this life? Oh, yeah. So why, do you, why would you build your sense of identity and security on all those things? Because that's the American way. Because that's what we do. We build our lives on all that junk. And not to say that our wives are junk, okay? I'm not... <laughs> or our spouses are junk or anything like that, but they're temporal. They're temporal. You're either going to die or, 
or he or she's going to die. One or the other. Your spouse is going to die. One, it's just a matter of time. You, you, you see that coming, don't you? I mean, you've got to be thinking a little bit further down the road. It's, just, it's inevitable. So you don't build your stuff on that. You build your stuff, you build your life. You don't build your stuff on that. You don't build your life on uh, that, that stuff on the created things. You build it on the creator. That's the point that he's making. Okay, I, I said way too much. Okay, sometimes I just muddy it up. I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm trying to help you to understand that, but, uh, but where am I here? Okay, there we are. So verse 24 Verse 24, Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for, for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Now, this was shocking for this moralistic culture that believed that wealth, that wealth equals God's favor and poverty and sickness equals God's curse and sinfulness. This is what, uh, what Job's friends were saying to Job. Well, you, you, you're suffering? You've got sin in your life, and, and that's God's curse, and, and because you'd be prosperous like us if uh, you were just living a moral life. That's very moralistic, by the way, and that's not biblical. That's part of that health and wealth gospel that's so prominent in our culture today, and it's, it's heretical. It's, it's dangerous, and that's what he's, what's, he says that how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. How many heard the story that the eye of a needle is a doorway into, through the wall into Jerusalem? How many heard that? that? Okay. How many have heard that? That's not true. There's no such thing as a doorway called the eye of a needle. It's, 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 it's wrong teaching. It's not true. And so, it's, and it's based on, the reason why they do that is because it's based on heretical teaching that if you work real hard, you can get into the kingdom of God. You can't get into the kingdom of God no matter how hard you work. So that's, that would be classified. The story is wrong. It's a wrong story, but it's based on some false teaching of works righteousness. That if you, the eye of the needle is like, this is a doorway, and you could push that camel in there if the camel could kind of crunch down a little bit and kind of push it through. And you can get it through there. If you work hard, you can get there. But that's, there's no truth to that. It's, it's actually what he's saying here. This is hyperbole. It's vast exaggeration. He's saying you can't get a camel through the eye of a needle. And those who heard this, then who can be saved? And so they thought that wealthy people had the best opportunity to be saved because they could buy their way to God through their alms and their giving and their generosity. But Jesus summarized. Jesus gives us the answer to it right here. Listen to what he says. And he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And what is he saying? I mean, if you're just reading that and you had been told about this story of this eye of the needle, doorway into the, all of that, that nonsense, you would go, wait a minute, he just said it. You cannot earn or achieve salvation. It is impossible for everyone. That's what he's saying. You can't save yourself. That's what he's saying. You can't do it. You can't save yourself. Only God can save you. It's not based on your works. It's based on what Christ has done for you. 
And then Peter said, well, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. So here's the next characteristic. So we should pray confidently, humbly, and then we should pray wholeheartedly. This is a healthy heart. This is our cure to losing to losing heart. We don't want to lose heart. And so pray confidently, humbly, wholeheartedly. And so what does that mean to pray wholeheartedly? It means you can't bargain with God, first of all. You can't bargain with God. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ. Did anybody ever see that movie? It's, it's a Burt Reynolds movie. I wasn't really fond of him as an actor. But, uh, but Burt Reynolds did a movie a number of years ago. It was called End of Life. It was really a horrible movie. I don't think I ever even watched the whole thing through. Anybody see that movie, End of Life? It's a terrible movie, isn't it? Yeah, it's just, it's, but it's, it's about a guy who swims out into the ocean to kill himself, but then he has second thoughts. So he's out in the middle of the ocean, and he's like, he's exhausted, but now he has, oh, I shouldn't do, why, why am I, I don't want to, I don't want to die, I don't want to do this. So he starts swimming back, and so he starts bargaining with God, and so he's, first of all, he says, God, I'll give you 50% of all that I have, 50%, 50%, oh, help me, God, help me, He gets a little bit further in, and it goes down to like 40 and 30, and then, so he's bargaining, and then finally gets to the shore, and he says, ah, oh, forget it, God, I never really believed in you anyway. So it's kind of an interesting thing, but I see people do that all the time. People do that all the time. And what this story is telling you is that you cannot bargain with God. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ. By the way, listen to me. You contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. That's Jonathan Edwards, great American theologian, said that. I don't obey God to get his blessing. I have his blessing through Christ, therefore I obey him. You're only responding to what he offers you. Here's another idea as it relates to wholeheartedness. So you can't bargain with God, but, but God is not a means to an end. He is the end. This is a big point. Now, track with me on this one. Let's just hypothetically say that I offend my wife, because I've never done that before. And so let's just say, hypothetically, I offend my wife, and she becomes very cold to me. Okay? You guys ready to play along? Okay. I, I know it's really hard for you guys to imagine that. But uh, so what needs to happen? What needs to happen? If I offended her and she's very cold to me, what should I do? Oh, what? What is that? I should apologize. Exactly. That's what I've got right here in my notes. I need to apologize and ask for forgiveness. Now, why do I want her forgiveness? Why do I want forgiveness? So I made a list here of some things to consider, see what you think. So why do I want her forgiveness? So that she'll cook my favorite meal? Or how about this one? So that my guilt feelings will go away and I can concentrate at work? So that others won't see us at odds? How about this one? So that she will admit what she has done to irritate me? <laughs> how about this one? So that there will be good sex tonight and I won't be sleeping on the couch again? What do you, yeah, right. <laughs> What's wrong with that one? What's wrong with any of them? All of those may or may not happen, but they are wrong motives because they make her a means to an end rather than the end. Is that not true? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt about it. I want to be forgiven so that I will have the sweet fellowship of my wife back, regardless of any of those other things. 
So let's transfer that over to our relationship with God. John 17, 3, it says, for this is eternal life. Wasn't that what he was asking for? I want eternal life. I've done all the things. And it tells us, for this is eternal life, that they may have forgiveness, sanctification, redemption, healing, heaven, etc. No, it doesn't say that. No, for this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. All in intimacy with God. That's eternal life. Knowing God, loving God, enjoying God in and of himself, not as a means to an end, but as the end. That's, that's what that means. All of these gospel blessings, forgiveness and sanctification and redemption and healing and heaven and etc., are not the end, but are a means to finding more everlasting enjoyment in God. On intimacy with God is the end of the gospel. If the only reason you are coming to God is to stay out of hell and get heaven then you probably don't really even know God and you probably won't go to heaven. You're using God. You married God for his money. I mean, that's it. Listen. Wholeheartedness. Having a heart that's wholehearted towards God doesn't bargain with God, already realizes you've received everything you're gonna ever need in him. And you're only responding to all that he's already given you. And you're not using him. You want him. You want him more than anything. And in in that, it's not letting anything capture your heart and imagination more than God. That's called idolatry. That's what we see with the rich ruler. It It was money, it was wealth. And it's a willingness to give up all to follow him because wasn't, isn't that what, Jesus, uh, what Peter is asking in verse 28? We've left everything. And so it's realizing, it's realizing because Jesus reinforces, hey, you've left everything? Well, guess what? Because you've left everything, look what you're gonna get in me in, in knowing me and experiencing me because you realize that whatever you give up to follow Jesus is nothing compared to what you will gain in on intimacy with him. That's why I love what Augustine said Augustine, however you want to pronounce his name, it is, it is true that these lesser things have their delight, but none like my God, the maker of all things. Listen, there is a satisfaction that is found in God that all the success in this world can never give to you and all the suffering in this world can never take from you. There's an awe and intimacy with God. That's wholeheartedness. That's a healthy heart. God, I just want you, and I want to know you. Even in the midst of difficulty, I want to know you and put your glory on display. Okay, we're almost there. I don't know where we are, but almost where. <laughs> but uh, here we are. Jump, jump now to verses 35 through 43. Jesus heals a blind beggar. And as he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging and hearing a crowd going by. He inquired what this meant, and they told him, this guy's desperate. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, and he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I love this. Look at this. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Is that going to stop him? No way. This is how you and I need to be when it comes to not losing heart. He could have easily lost heart. Hey, shut up. Quit whining. Quit crying. He goes, no way. I'm going for Jesus. I'm going for him. Nothing's going to keep me back from him. I'm going all out. But he cried all out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Do you see the balance between 
son of David, glory, greatness, and have mercy on me, goodness. You see the balance between those two? That's beautiful. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And notice how he responds. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So we should pray confidently, humbly, wholeheartedly, and then persistently, persistently. I mean, we see this in verse 39. The blind man would not be stopped. Don't let anyone or anything keep you from crying out to God with, with honor and honesty. Honor, son of David. Unsearchable greatness. Honesty, yes, have mercy on me. Unimaginable goodness. Now, immediately you might think, isn't this guy using Jesus as a means to an end? Like what you said that we're not supposed to? Well, actually, you'll notice what happened here. The healing was a means to the healer, not the healer a means to the healing. Because in verse 43, and immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And the people saw that and they gave praise to God as a result of that. Remember what we said last week? Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Every good and perfect gift. Remember the 10 lepers? There was nine they received the gift. It was a good gift, but they didn't let that good gift lead to the perfect gift, which is Jesus. So the deepest and the most enduring pleasure in life is not from God, but in God. Don't let your enjoyment of the good gifts of life terminate on those good gifts because they will never be enough, but let the good gifts of life be a channel of adoration to the perfect gift, Jesus, making the good gifts more pleasurable and less controlling in our lives. Find your delight in him. And Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek him and find him when you do what? When you seek him with all of your heart. Be persistent. Be persistent. Don't quit. Keep crying out to God. Keep crying out to him based on his, his greatness and his goodness. Hebrews eleven six. without faith it is impossible to please God for whoever comes to him must believe that he exists and he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So listen to me. Don't grow weary in well-doing because in due season you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Don't stop. Don't stop. Be persistent. Now, Back to verses 31 through 34. What is the basis for access to God in prayer? Here we go. I love this because Jesus is telling us here's the foundation of why we can even approach him. And, t and, talk, and taking the, the 12, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things, this saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. So what is the basis of our being able to approach God and pray confidently, humbly, wholeheartedly, and persistently? It's right here. Because Jesus prayed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We cry with confidence, Abba, Father, my Daddy. So the wonder of the cross satisfies both the justice of God and the mercy of God. All of our sins were placed upon him, so we receive all of his righteousness. That's, that's amazing. 
That's absolutely amazing. And so this is what we have. What is the measure of his love for us? The cross. The cross. If you ever struggle, does he love me? How much does he love me? Always go back to the cross. It's, it's always about the cross. And then what is the measure of his power working in, through, and for us, and for me? The resurrection. His resurrection power. He loves me, and his power is working in and through me. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for reconciling us once and for all to yourself by sending your son to die in our place for our sins so that we can cry, Abba, Father, you're our daddy. Help us to keep our hearts healthy by praying confidently and humbly and wholeheartedly and persistently, experiencing more and more of your love and power demonstrated through the cross and the resurrection so that we can face anything in life with indestructible joy for your indescribable glory in Jesus' beautiful name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you.